We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are going to be breaking down uh, some rookie redraft rankings with, with best ball uh, being in full swing at this point. But it's also Thursday, uh, May 7th, which means the schedule comes out this evening by the time right, right around the time that this is posted. And I also saw something that caught my eye earlier with uh, the NFL Superbook at, at Westgate. Um, releasing their win totals, you know, right in advance of the schedule officially being released. There have been some leaks um, across the, the league with, you know, some some connected sources uh, tweeting tweeting out uh, different variations of the schedule or shooting down the, the theory that uh, all the non-conference games are going to be played in the first four games, uh, that, that sort of stuff. But uh, before we dive in there, uh, Mario, what's going on, man? Oh, nothing. Uh, just glad to be doing this part two podcast this week to uh, you know keep keep our ravenous ravenously hungry fans uh, well supplied with pods. That's right. We we got to do it, and uh, you know there's going to be a freaking three hour long special to release 
a schedule this evening. So that, that just goes to show. I'm how. going to watch so much of that. It's going to be so good. I can't <laughs> I, wait. I'm literally just picturing the clockwork orange set, set up in your apartment for that. Your yeah. eyes just pried open. <laughs> I, I kind of, it's just one of those things where it's such a bad idea that I'm actually kind of impressed. It's just <laughs> such a bad idea. And I love them for having the kind of brain that comes up with ideas like these. Uh, I, I think it was Pat Torman uh, that, that had a great tweet earlier where it's like, you know, it's going to be a three hour long special where they get into the uh, just most painful deta- uh, personal details of oh, each yeah. schedule. <laughs> God, what was that was terrible with the draft. So, yeah, what is this? They're going to spend like three hours just doing deep dives into like rookie trauma while just getting to the end of the broadcast and saying, like, actually, that schedule's canceled already. Uh, we'll be doing another three-hour special in about six weeks, updating you on the on the new uh, November through March uh, season that we have in mind. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's such a ridiculous premise, and I, I get that they're bored, and I I'm guessing they're kind of they're going overboard with the three-hour thing because they're like everybody's inside. There's all this extra demand to capture. It's like not about schedules. Schedules aren't that interesting. Schedules are worth about five minutes. I don't know because. Because everyone like knows who their opponents are going to be, it's it's really just a matter of it getting you know sorted out uh, chronologically or whatever. And you you, you get a look at uh, when your bye we- when your favorite team's bye week is. You get a look at um, you know when your primetime games are. And then you know after about ten seconds, it's like oh, all right, well I forgot everything else that I just looked at. They're going to be they're going to spend like an hour doing stuff uh, like since the dawn of time, man has wondered what a schedule is. And then they, you know, I don't know how how are they going to spend three hours. Anyway, uh, this podcast is a better use of everyone's time, I'm sure. Oh, a thousand percent. And uh, yeah, so let's get things rolling on that front here. So before we get into uh, some rookie uh, redraft running back ranks, a lot of R um alliteration there um some win totals um that that caught your eye uh so yeah westgate uh the superbook put out those win totals i wanted to just pick your brain on a couple of uh implied totals or, or i'm sorry uh totals for the season uh which teams you, you kind of are looking to fade or maybe some numbers that, that you're looking to buy a little bit and i i wanted to start out with the patriots because they're sitting there with nine wins, which is a lot for a team that, um, you know, it, it still has a, a very strong defense, of course, and Bill Belichick, um, obviously like the best coach ever, but no Tom Brady. And I, I don't think super highly of Tom Brady at this stage of his career and, and, uh, and, and all that good stuff. But at the same time, like the drop from him to Jarrett Stidham, which apparently is going to be uh, how New England enters the season, unless they they reverse course uh, on Cam Newton. That's no matter how good your coach is, I don't think that you can elevate Jared Stidham into a into a ten win quarterback. So that nine number, especially when you also consider uh, looking at CBS right now, their their uh, strength of schedule numbers based on uh, opponents combined twenty nineteen win percentage. Uh, the Patriots have the toughest schedule, also on top of that. Wow, I wonder what uh are they just playing like the Chiefs eight times aside from their own division? Because, uh, yeah, the Dolphins and Jets I figure are the main reason why the Patriots win total is projected that high because, like you said, Stidham. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to look stupid and say that he can't be any good at all and have him turn out to be a decent player, but I still would be surprised if he's even a decent player. So great as that defense might be, the corners are fine. That the corner personnel is still really good. 
I, I agree. I don't think I really want to go with that. If, if it does get if they do get to nine, it's probably just because the Jets stayed impossibly bad. I just I don't know. The, the Dolphins, I don't think could uh, be as bad as last year if they tried because they now have maybe the best corner rotation in the league. So that's right. something. And the offensive line, maybe it's still trash, but they got a few players here and there. I don't know. They're, I don't think they're the worst team in the league. Um, not that the Patriots are in that contention, but I, I feel like you need uh, two teams as bad as the Jets to feel pretty safe about that nine total for the Patriots, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, it's sitting there at, at straight up nine, not not eight and a half. So like that, you basically need them to win ten games to to get the over there, right? So um, I think I'd also take the under on a, as far as an even number goes. Dallas at ten seems a little aggressive to me. Uh, I don't know. I'm I haven't done this stuff before, so I could I could be walking into some sort of trap with this. But uh, basically, I just think that the Eagles will be a lot better next year than they were last year. And as much as I think the Giants are kind of a joke, there's I still don't think they're the kind of team you want to just ignore. Like Daniel Jones, he's going to be turnover prone, perhaps, but he's also pretty wily. He he might be the kind of quarterback who. Uh, he might be the kind of quarterback that you lose against when you're not supposed to and you're one, you know, left wondering afterward, like, what the hell happened there? Um, but, yeah, the Washington defense, I think, could be pretty good just from the pass rush. So Dallas, the general rule is if there's something that can go wrong, they will find a way to to secure that, that to the fullest extent. And I, I think with a pass rush like Washington's, the Giants just kind of having a f- decent collection of players at least – and, uh, yeah, the, the Eagles, I think, could be just I, – I expect the Eagles to take that division, in other words. And I, I guess if Dallas were still to win 10 games, that would be pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. So it's a, it's a division that already w- was tough with the Eagles, you know, basically still winning that division despite, like, a, a, a lemony snicket series of unfortunate events happening to them throughout the course of last year, still being able to win the division over the Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys have gotten, you know, a little bit better um, over the course of this offseason that that offense is going to be scary um but uh, i'm not losing sure. frederick might i know they they went without him that one time but uh going just to looney at center mm-hmm. i don't know that that might be a little bit of a, a ding in the armor that they haven't had before uh and also they're asking for some trouble at defensive tackle i think like gerald mccoy is great when healthy but he's old now and he had injury troubles before so um yeah i love dak but i don't think he has any help in dallas aside from uh, his receivers and tackles basically yeah yeah so um yeah not not the deepest uh roster in the world a lot of expensive parts there um let's see i think another team that, that stood out to me i got i got two uh, from from the west coast there chargers. Um, uh starting at we'll get to the chargers in a second oh sorry uh i think a juicier take would be the niners 10 and a half oh. they lost the super bowl um i think that they're they're still a very strong roster um but you know this this is a team that did you know make a deep run and didn't finish the drill and i think that has a deep psychological effect on on teams i, I think that a lot of the time the team that ends up losing the super bowl I believe I believe in the Super Bowl hangover. In other words, unless like it's the Patriots. Um, so with the Niners, yeah, asking for eleven wins, uh, which is which is what you would need to if you're if you're backing them, uh, is a lot. And you're also looking at uh, similar to the Patriots um, in in terms of my argument against them. Uh, the Niners have the toughest uh, opposing uh, win per- combined win percentage from 2019 um, of any team in the NFC. Um, the, and the fourth toughest schedule uh, overall. 
So that that's just another um, additional thing. And, you know, you could also look at, you know, their, their aging cornerback personnel uh, could end up being an issue. I know Richard Sherman played really well last year, but how long are you going to be able to count on him being able to, to be like a force at corner? Um, yeah, there, there's just a little bit more question marks than I would than I would like for it, uh, a team that I'm backing for 11 wins. Yeah, I, I have some concern about the Rams in that division and if, if the Rams kind of tank then maybe that'll make it easier for, for the 49ers but if the Rams hold their current posture then I think it would be tough for the 49ers to get to uh, definitely like the, what they did last year but even even 11 wins would be kind of uh, tough for them to get to because I think the Cardinals will be better uh, maybe a lot better and I think the Seahawks I know they got to the playoffs last year but uh, I think they'll be better because their defense, I think, will be a lot better. I think this is the best the Seattle defense will have been in years. And Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, they're not falling off. So no. that's basically all they had last year. And this, I think that Quentin Dunbar trade is going to be huge for Seattle. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So, so um, you know, there's that chance that uh, the Niners get unseated in in the West to begin with, and then you know they're they're still looking to find that way that path to 11 wins. There, um, I think it's just a, a tough ask. Um, yeah. So, and then last one for me um, is the Chargers uh, sitting at eight. I, I don't think that the Chargers have like the worst roster in football or anything like that, but I just. I have a hard time seeing them being above a 500 team with, with the mixture of uh, Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert. If, it, if they turn it over to Herbert early enough on in the season before they start banking some wins, I think this, this season could go pretty sideways uh, for them. Um, I think the rest of that division uh, is getting, or at least two of the teams are getting better. Uh, they do have the Raiders who, you know, they could potentially get one or two wins off of. Uh, but I, I envision them going one and three, maybe 0 and four against the, the Chiefs and Broncos. Um, so that, that, you know, is a tough weight uh, to overcome there. Yeah, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little bit psyched for the theory that Anthony Lynn will be the next head coach fired. So I definitely like the under on the charges at eight. I think there's something weird going on there. The whole thing with making a healthy scratch of Desmond King back in like week 14 or whatever. And there was some sort of, I can't remember the other story that was odd to me, but it seems to me like Anthony Lynn, who's kind of a, not like authoritarian exactly, but he's like ostensibly a military style, like rule lover type of guy. And that kind of stuff can be good for maybe getting a ragtag bunch of, you know, rookies and stuff to, to focus and, you know, get their act together. Um, but once you get past that phase and if you don't get to the winning stage, that kind of personality, that kind of management style just kind of alienates people. And I think something weird might've been going on with Desmond King who had been, I think for two years, something like the highest rated slot uh, corner in the league and then they're just scratching him healthy for for not listing like personal reasons nothing they're just like we're just not letting him play today it sounded like a disciplinary thing and i, I wouldn't be surprised if lynn's authority is starting to crack which is not what they need when outside of uh i don't know like six defenders and i i love austin eckler uh the two receivers are good hunter henry's good but they don't have anything on the offensive line or at least they have a couple really big problems in the offensive line that could ruin the whole thing and yeah, I don't think the players are going to be playing 
Okay, yeah. So all of that definitely adds up. So you, when you're asking the the Chargers to go over 500 with all of that in mind, I think that that's that's a lot. So I would I would take the under there on the Chargers. That those are the main ones that that stood out to me um, at first glance. I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on win totals again um, as the off season continues to progress. Um, but let's get into um, the heart of today's show, uh, getting into uh, redraft leagues. Uh, for this upcoming season and breaking down uh, the rookie uh, pecking order within it. You're obviously in the midst of, of a best ball draft right now. You're in the 18th round, so getting close to wrapping up. Um, let's start at the top. Um, did Clyde Edwards-Hilaire go first among rookies, and, and where did he go in your draft? Um, I think he did. I'm trying to pull up the draft board here. Uh, I had it formatted the wrong way um so yeah i think he went he went in the third round that was the second selection in the third round i've seen him go higher than that i've seen people advocate for him going higher than that including in uh like mainstream prestigious fantasy media so uh that's that's not what happened here he fell a little bit further to the to the second pick in the third round which i don't know it's that's late enough where i'm probably not making that pick myself but i'm also not gonna really argue with someone if they want to make it it's it's still much better in my opinion to uh let's see get like well i like i I will say i like the hilaire pick better than the leonard fournette pick six selections before it uh so it could have been worse but the next three the next uh six selections were actually running backs too and they went todd Gurley, melvin gordon devin singletary lavian bell jonathan taylor chris carson you might recall, John, I actually have Taylor ahead of Edwards Hilaire already. So, you know, I would take him ahead of Edwards Hilaire mm-hmm. as much as I don't really want to take either at the top of the third round. It uh, looks like that's what the price tag is going to be, though. So I guess I'll have to think about that and, and figure out just how how much I'm willing to pay for those two players who, who I like, of course. But the, the playing situations, uh, especially in the case of Clyde Edwards Hilaire, in my opinion, because I don't I don't think that it's a lock that he can do from scrimmage what Damian Williams can, whereas there isn't anything that Marlon Mack does uh, other than not fumbling, I guess, to be fair. <laughs> but other than that, he cannot do a single thing that Jonathan Taylor can. And I, I think that'll be one of those things they figure out within about five minutes of opening camp. So I think Taylor will run away with that job. And Edwards Hilaire could, too. And even if he doesn't, Damian Williams has durability issues, obviously. Sure. But at the top of the third round, that's um, that's a lot to pay for the for the the necessary condition of a player getting hurt, in my opinion. For sure, yeah, that, that's um, yeah, that that's a lot. That's a lot that you're that you're investing in a very uncertain situation or, or one where, uh, yeah, it's just not guaranteed. Basically, put another way, like you were saying, uh, to draft Edwards Hilaire. Um, at the top of the third round is to also have Damian Williams valued like outside your top hundred, right? Yeah, something like that. And now that I'm looking a little bit into the next couple rounds of this draft order in this best ball time, I think my takeaway is that the whole running back market is really screwed up and and from draft to draft, it might be kind of volatile because so I told you like it's Clyde Edwards, Lair, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon. Those all seem reasonable enough to me and Devin, Devin Singletary too. Uh, even Levy and Bell, I get the logic because there should be a lot of catches, carries there. Um, but I would probably put uh, Taylor at the front of that list. Gurley, I think, is in a good spot, and Gordon too, because even if they're kind of washed up and not 
not that they necessarily are, but even if they are, they're probably going to get so much work this year that uh, because of Gurley's case, there's just no depth in Atlanta. And in, in Gordon's case, they're paying him $8 million a year. So they both look like they're going to get a lot of work. And at the top of the third round, both of them have higher floors than either of Edward Tillier or Taylor. So that's something to keep in mind. I, I don't know if some of these people were looking for ceiling more than floor or vice versa, but uh, the floor is very low with Edward Tillaire and uh, with with Jonathan Taylor. I guess I should admit it's it's pretty low there too, at least relative to Gurley and Gordon. Uh, Chris Carson should get a lot of work. He, it sounds like he's recovering fine from his hip thing or whatever, and Rashad Penny I don't think is going to play in the first, whatever, eight games, something like that. So... There's a lot that can go wrong with Carson, but I can't hate the upside pick there. What's weirder to me is, is stuff like James Conner falling to the third pick in the fifth round. I don't have Lavian Bell or Devin Singletary ahead of James Conner. Uh, I think that Devin Singletary, as impressive as he is, people are underestimating Zach Moss. And they're not grappling with the fact that Devin Singletary pretty clearly was not Buffalo's uh, like touchdown runner last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he had something like three carries inside the 10 yard line, whereas Frank Gore had 18. And, you know, if that's, if that's something that they're assigning on the basis of merit, not that they are guaranteed to be doing that, but if they are, Zach Moss is going to be better at short yardage than, than Singletary in my opinion, because Moss is just, it tackles, tacklers bounce off him. Like very few players in recent memory. And he's, he's good. He's a good running back. So I, th- I think to uh, assume Singletary that high over guys like Connor, over guys like uh, yeah Chris Carson, that's probably something that I wouldn't do. Uh, but DeAndre Swift is a guy, John, who I feel like I spent the whole pre-draft season trying to argue with people that they're overrating him and that uh, Taylor is better and that – you know, Edwards, Hilaire and Dobbins are closer to Swift than people are giving them credit for. And I still believe all of that. And yet I think Swift might be going too late. Like at least if the the market is saying things like if if, if the market is that Edwards, Hilaire goes in the first, um, sorry, uh, 26 picks, 25 picks, then Swift shouldn't be going much later because I would probably give Swift a higher projection this year. I don't think carry on Johnson is, is a, I should say, I don't think carry on Johnson is, is good enough to get much work at Swift's expense by merit. I acknowledge teams can do dumb things. Coaches can do dumb things, but I think that Deandre Swift is so clearly much better of a runner and pass catcher, both than carry on Johnson, that it'll be a dynamic kind of like Jonathan Taylor versus Marlon Mack in Indianapolis where, yeah, sure. I'm sure these teams are getting to training camp and the coaches and the GMs are thinking, we've got such good uh, running back depth. Our running backs are so good. We can use all of them. We can use so many running backs in a game. We can. We don't even have to overwork our guys. And yet you'll kind of just pick up immediately that, oh, this guy's just not even in this guy's league. Like this guy, uh, DeAndre Swift, is so much better than on Johnson that – It'll be understood, I think, that if you want to make a play, if you want to move the chains, if you if you want to move the ball downfield, you're using Swift if he's available, and you use Johnson when you don't specifically need to move the chains. Like maybe it's uh, maybe it's a it's a low probability drive at the end of a half. That's when Carryon Johnson plays. That's uh, it's it's when they're running out the clock, which I don't think they'll be doing that much in Detroit. That's when Carryon Johnson will have to play. To put Carryon Johnson on the field over DeAndre Swift is to just ask to lose basically Uh, there's there's not even any they're so far apart in my opinion interesting so yeah it's 
um, you know, it's not like you're rever- reversing course or anything. It's more just you're digging into the context uh, that that comes with De- uh, Swift's landing spot in Detroit, and just you know, on a on a player to player comparison, there really isn't one between Swift and Johnson. So uh, again, we got to assume that the Lions are going to do the right thing, and uh, I think at running back, it that's. You know the the cream can rise to the top definitely uh, there. You know one guy is getting stuffed constantly at the line, the other guy is, is making big plays. I think you're you're going to see pretty quickly uh, who the coaching staff favors in that situation. So if that ends up being the case, like we're expecting, then Swift you know pretty quickly becomes that RB one in Detroit at a pretty decent uh, you know ADP there. I mean so other guys going in uh, similar areas among running backs. Uh, da- you got David Johnson, Raheem Mostert. Uh, Carson and Connor as well is what I'm looking at. Yeah, David Johnson's a tough one for me. He went right after uh, right after DeAndre Swift in this draft that I'm doing. It's one of those calls where, again, I can't really argue with it, but I'm probably not going to make that call myself. I, maybe I should be more interested because uh, it seems like Bill O'Brien's really going to give this thing a shot with David Johnson, even though Duke Johnson's there, even though David Johnson... Uh, had a disastrous season last year, and even though Bill O'Brien has no history of using a player like him correctly, they're going to try to justify that trade. And even if David Johnson's some form of bad as a runner, I can't really imagine him being bad as a pass catcher. So as as long as he's on the field, he'll always be good at that, I think. It's just... I can imagine him having pretty ugly running back tape at uh, running out of the backfield. I think the tape could be pretty ugly there in Houston. Whereas Swift, my only concern with him the whole time was like, you know, maybe he can't take as much workload as Jonathan Taylor. But sure. for the snaps that he's out there, I don't think there's many running backs at all in the league that are that are clearly better. Uh, Karrion Johnson, clearly not one of them. So, uh, yeah, in that range, I, I guess I prefer guys like Swift and Connor uh, in that four to five round range sooner than I would guys like Singletary in the third or Edwards Hilaire at the top 20, top 25. So yeah, this, this running back market is so weird. And especially after Ingram got kind of dinged by JK Dobbins, uh, I'm kind of, I'm even getting a little curious about David Montgomery this year, John, uh, no shares yet, but it's, it's like, I didn't think I'd be here. He, he is not exactly a preferred price of mine in the in the fifth round, but compared to some of the other insane options this year, it's like that might be one of the best still. Okay, so yeah, let, let's dive in there um, because once you get past, I'm looking at um, ADP from uh, beginning of of May here, um, so things even still could could have shifted. But what, uh, James Conner, as it stands, RB25, and then you get beyond him in that next cluster of five guys. Really interesting names. You got Cam Akers, you have Mark Ingram, David Montgomery, and J.K. Dobbins and Damian Williams, all in a, in a cluster, uh, you know, ranging from around pick forty to to um, as as late as pick 93 when it comes to Damian Williams. So he has a pretty wide range. J.K. Dobbins as high as 55, as low as 84. Um, and Dobbins and, and Ingram essentially being right next to each other as far as how the market is valuing them. Uh, yeah, pretty clear that you know that there's the team Dobbins and the team Ingram people out there and that, that's already getting started. Yeah, I'll probably pass on both of those. I think they're too good of players both to, to pretend that we have any insight on who's going to come out ahead, uh, especially this year. Uh, of course, if you were taking up a two-year timeline, it's like, oh, I'll take Dobbins then. That's easy, but that's that's not really the question no. in this case. And I, 
I don't think that uh, I feel like there's too much unknown for me to, to justify a fifth or a sixth round pick on a running back who's direct competition will is expected to go in like the next five picks in the order like that's that just makes and me like think it, both it, prices are wrong yeah and like at a price that you know is is reflective of of you know talent where it's like okay like I'm, I'm getting Dobbins but you know I, I can't just look at look at how everything has progressed and look at this offense and be like okay th- I can't say with good with a good conscience that like I think Mark Ingram is bad you know so right. you're, you're just the 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 idea of them just like really really splitting carries i think is enough to to kind of scare me off both of them at at their current prices whereas uh the guy in between them david montgomery like you're saying uh really no legit competition as far as you know the bears have about a thousand tight ends they have three real like nfl running well really just two nfl running backs in between montgomery and Tariq cohen ryan nall uh not really a, a a guy so um yeah i feel like montgomery just is ticketed for among the heaviest workloads uh in the entire league this year potentially yeah and i still like cohen at his price which is funny he's actually one of my favorite running back bargains or you know ostensible bargains he, i keep getting him in like the 10th round and stuff like that uh, i don't remember where he went in this one but uh we got to talk about Keyshawn vaughn of course who actually went the pick ahead of david montgomery in the draft that i'm doing and that's crazy to me. Keyshawn Vaughn went two picks within uh, Raheem Mostert, four within James Conner. Uh, not just David Montgomery after Keyshawn Vaughn, Mark Ingram, Cam Akers, Damian Williams, uh, so on and so on. And that's that's a really high price for a guy like Vaughn. This is this is the mid fifth round. I'm guessing this is about as high as he usually goes. So maybe, you know, I don't want to make it, I don't want to scoff at Vaughn when I I also would take him in the, whatever, the seventh or eighth or something like that. But it looks like I'm not going to get any uh, Keyshawn Vaughn shares this year because he keeps going more like the sixth round or even in a case like this, the mid fifth. And, you know, I I was a big skeptic of David Montgomery last year and I I still basically think people were wrong uh, with how highly they evaluated him. But I think he's a lot better of a prospect than Keyshawn Vaughn was. And I I don't want to say like Vaughn can't be useful because I, I think that the running back position is specifically one where guys like him can be useful. It's it's more the problem for me is in this mid-fifth round, you're expecting this guy to get to be like a running back too with, with uh, you know, ideally a little juice for maybe even a higher finish than that. And I think you specifically need Ronald Jones to get hurt for that to be possible. The idea of Vaughn just running away with this backfield, which the the people are generally assuming that's going to happen at this point. I don't know. I, I don't remember that discussion. I wasn't in on it. But uh, people decided, yeah, Ronald Jones is over. Keyshawn Vaughn is awesome. He's like one of the best SEC running backs. Like, no, man, he's not. He's he's pretty good. He's he's like I, I compared him to Jamal Williams aesthetically. And to be fair, he's better than that because at the very least he's faster and he's more densely built than Jamal Williams. But that's the kind of tone of a running back that I, I think he is like he's he, he's liable to blend in with, uh, you know, the carry on johnson types i don't know and again i am not a huge fan of carry on johnson i project him as like a fifth or sixth round pick rather than a second round one so 
uh, Keyshawn Vaughn going this high is something that I'll, I'll I'm not within even two rounds of that price. I don't know I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what anyone thinks is going to happen, but I, I think they should reconsider because Ronald Jones is just not bad enough to presume something like this, in my opinion. Okay, yeah. So on the other side of that coin, are you getting Jones at his current price? So I'm trying to track him down in this draft uh, board that I'm looking at, and I can't seem it, to. His range is all over the place. Yeah, uh, on the ADP I'm looking at is as high oh. as 67, as low as 124. Okay, so he went with the last pick in the seventh round, and that's that's a pick I would probably be willing to make because in my mind, I you know to to be totally clear. I don't think Vaughn's taking this backfield over. I, th- I think Jones will be the better fantasy back between the two. And I think that's about where, like maybe the mid seventh, that's about where I, I maybe can muster the courage to, uh, you know, take on the Ronald Jones risk because he is risky. I don't, I don't mean to deny that I'm sooner to take n- neither of these players is, is the main thing that I'm taking away, I guess, because uh, I'm on the lookout for Jones, but it, the problem is, in a lot of these drafts, you have people who just are on one of the two sides and it might be six and six. So the opportunity to actually get the bargain because everybody overlooks a player never happens. It's like they just both go for the maximum possible price. Oh, OK. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying there. And yeah, that's going to be a backfield that, you know, it's early on um, and we'll have the one of the magazine mocks here coming up um but yeah i don't know how much exposure i'm gonna get to this tampa bay backfield in general this year i I don't really know how much i I like either uh jones or vaughn um and you know vaughn being even older than than ronald jones and gonna be coming in as a rookie with it with a shortened offseason program i don't know there's a lot of stuff that that uh kind of creeps me out about about how uh, how much draft helium uh he has right now i think it's a lot a lot of thirst of, of people just wanting to be right about uh whoever tampa bay takes in the draft is going to be the guy that i ride with type of, type of deal no matter who it is and it's like eh, well. yeah yeah and it's it's coming down from people who just like aren't even really experts in prospects so i would really watch out for that one that one that one went hook line and sinker the second he got drafted and i've i've been like unable to get any traction in the narrative against it but uh to zoom back out a little bit uh the jones versus Keyshawn vaughn question for me is is one where i have more trouble answering than i do the the deandre swift and carry on johnson one and I, i'm mentioning that because just like Ronald Jones went in the seventh round, Carrion Johnson went in the seventh round of this one, actually two picks ahead of Jones. So both with Keyshawn Vaughn and Ronald Jones and DeAndre Swift, Carrion Johnson, you might have a lot of drafts where there's six people willing to take one of them at, at like the, the ceiling price and then six willing to take the other at that ceiling price, making it difficult to get at both. But DeAndre Swift, I might be willing to pay the ceiling price. Okay, awesome. I, I like the way that that you framed that, and you know the comparison of the of those two backfields. Um, all right, so we talked about Devin Singletary uh, a little bit earlier. Next running back um, in the draft pecking order, it seems, is Zach Moss, and we, we talked about you know him being a little built a little bit better for goal line work and. Um, Singletary's lack of usage down in in that part of the field uh, last year, and it's you can't just lop on all of the the Frank Gore touches there. Um, to a guy like Singletary, more than likely, um, it's going to go Moss's way. And Moss is, a, you know, a pretty complete runner. I would have liked to see him in Tampa Bay. Then that whole question would have been a lot easier to answer, honestly. Um, but 
It's t- it's tough. I don't think that he completely takes away for, from Singletary. I think that this is going to be a frustrating backfield oh, no. to figure out. Yeah, Singletary should be considered the starter there. I didn't mean to uh, like declare Moss the guy. It's it's more a thing. Um, it's 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 a lot like the last two cases we talked about with Tampa Bay, Detroit, where. Uh, I guess there's less like truthers for Singletary or Moss. Both there there aren't as there aren't like the fanatics for Singletary or Moss that there are for Vaughn or uh, whatever DeAndre Swift or something. Um, but for me, it's one of those things where Singletary's a guy you got to pay a third or a fourth round pick to get, and he's a good player. He he'll probably be good this year. He probably won't hurt your team a whole lot. But I think his upside is pretty badly capped because of Zach Moss, if, if nothing else. And even if Moss weren't there, I don't know if they just go into this with the, the idea, like the, the, the philosophy that they should just have a running back committee for the sake of having a running back committee. And maybe even if Moss wasn't there, then it would just maybe be TJ Yeldon who we're all uh, pissed off about. I don't know. Uh, but they, you know, Frank Gore wasn't great or anything last year. And yet they just didn't give Singletary that, uh, you know, inside the 10, inside the five, sort of carries so particularly when you look at a case like Aaron Jones last year the guy had 14 rushing touchdowns in the red zone and it's just one of those things where Moss being there I think cuts off Singletary from having that Aaron Jones sort of breakout potential because I don't think that same scenario can occur if Zach Moss is, is active that day so if I am picking between Devin Singletary in the third or the fourth and Moss in the tenth I'm taking Moss. It's it's uh it's kind of the it's kind of like my other side of the coin for my Swift position. Like I might be willing to pay the highest price for Swift because I'm I'm just that sure that he's going to be better than the competition. And between Singletary and Moss, I'm I'm totally sure that I'm on the Moss side of that. Like I don't I, I don't even mean it as a slight with Singletary like I do with Carryon Johnson. Uh, I just think that Moss should be especially good for the things that they specifically set aside for Frank Gore last year. Okay, so let's say, you know, over the course of this offseason, Moss starts to see, uh, you know, you you get the positive reports out out of Buffalo. His his stock starts to rise um, and maybe Singletary, a guy that that's available closer towards like the end of the fourth, early fifth round. Does that would that like change your position at all? Uh, sorry, Singletary in the early fifth, you said? Yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, I... I don't know if I, he falls that far. It wouldn't happen much, but Singletary, again, he's he's good. Like, I, I thought he was pretty convincing last year. Um, I thought there were some indications in his, his peripheral numbers that he's going to regress. Because uh, he basically didn't have to break tackles. He had a lot of open field, and, and he totally killed the open field that they gave him. It's just, there might not be as much open field, generally speaking, all the time. So... I think the yardage will regress a little bit and I, I think he'll get more red zone work than he did last year, but it's it's just I don't know how you get the upside scenario if you don't do any of the red zone stuff and uh, or, or sorry, any of the inside the 10 stuff. He did get some red zone work, I, I should say. He wasn't he he would he would get pulled when they got to the 10 or closer. Got it. Got it. Um, any other notes there on on that Buffalo backfield before we move on? Uh, not really. I'm I'm going to get a lot of moss until further notice, though. Okay, good, good to know. Um, let's see here. Uh, next rookie up, we get we got a couple of them kind of clustered, um, not too far from each other. We got AJ Dillon. Um, we got 
Anthony McFarland, uh, Darrington Evans, and Josh Kelly as, as that next uh, like quartet of rookie running backs, all going at different stages. Kelly going the latest of that group, um, but that that's sort of that next four that you're looking at. Yeah, so A.J. Dillon, I think, is back to being overlooked again. I thought he was he, – it was reasonable, why, you know, the reasoning that people had for taking him in the in the whatever, the ninth or tenth, eighth round before the draft. It, it made sense because people started to realize, oh, this, this guy's a running back. He was really good at Boston College and he's going to go in the second or third round. And so they, they had to kind of chase that upside. Um, I don't think they had more reason to chase that upside then than they do now, even though Aaron Jones, of course, is really good and Jamal Williams is there. Green Bay took him in the second round, and the the background there, of course, is Lafleur. I think is trying to emulate the Tennessee offense. I think he sees AJ Dillon as his Derrick Henry analog, and I think as much as Aaron Jones is way too good to just get pushed aside, and even Jamal Williams, I would be, I guess, a little surprised if he were totally sent to the bench. Dylan is the guy who projects for those 14 touchdowns from last year. Uh, not all of them, but enough of them uh, to at least kind of screw things up for Aaron Jones. And, and B, we're talking, let's see, 53rd running back off the board since May 1st in best ball 10 drafts. That's that's too late. I, I feel like he should be a running back, like, like a low end running back three, I feel like, because he's going to be good. Like he's, he's going to be so good. It won't be easy for them to just keep him off the field. Even though Aaron Jones is out there, it's, it's going to be the kind of thing that they, they might go more run heavy just because they have Aaron, uh, AJ Dillon on the team now. And if, if the Packers ever get in scoring range, I mean, Aaron Jones has had durability troubles and the Packers might be cynical enough even to not that, I'm not saying we should plan based as if this is something that's true because it's it's too speculative. It's it's not actionable. But if you're really cynical and you're the Packers, you might specifically take away touchdowns from Aaron Jones this year to try to argue for a lower contract figure in the next mm-hmm. offseason. Uh, it doesn't. I'm, I'm not saying it's 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 like a thing that they're thinking about. I'm saying it's just another reason that they could have to to feel nudged toward giving Dylan more touchdowns and that they already have plenty of reason in that they've already paid a second round pick for him and he's probably really good at it right exactly so uh you know there's a lot of investment there uh in Dylan you got Jones entering you know the last year of of his rookie deal um so yeah a lot of varying factors um at play and, and you know like you said um if there's really a running Running back from this class, like outside of the, that initial top three or four uh, that you would trust in the red zone, I mean, it's A.J. Dillon, and maybe you can make an argument that he's the best built um, for, for red zone work, so it would definitely makes sense there. I mean, he would not be fun uh, once the weather gets cold up in Green Bay uh, to get him running oh. uh, <laughs> down in goal line situations. Uh, before we get on to our next uh, running back, we got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. The best fantasy football leagues are those where every owner constantly pays attention, responds to trade offers, changes their lineup, and are always looking to improve their team. There's no off-season for these owners. That's who you're challenging yourself against in Dynasty Owner, other elite fantasy football players who are committed to competing. Dynasty Owner is the only fantasy football platform with a patent game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. 
Combine this with a salary cap, elite trading options, advanced team rosters, and devoted elite owners to compete against, and you're faced with the same decisions NFL owners and general managers must make. If you're ready to take on the best, then don't miss out. Join the waitlist at DynastyOwner.com. That's DynastyOwner.com. All right, so we were just talking about A.J. Dillon uh, in Green Bay, that whole situation. Uh, Anthony McFarland uh, enters a, a crowded backfield um, there in Pittsburgh. And I think, you know, a little bit based on uh, what you were talking about with earlier with James Conner uh, being somewhat undervalued uh, where he's going in drafts. And then you have Anthony McFarland um, going as like RB54 uh, right now. What What's your views on him as it stands? I think at these prices, I'm more interested in McFarland in Dynasty than Redraft, uh, and and especially less the in uh, Best Ball. I can see him more easily, I guess, as as a Connor handcuff in in Redraft. Perhaps I, I don't know. Maybe there's the maybe that works for the Best Ball logic too. It's just I don't think that if James Connor is healthy, that there's much that McFarland will be practically better at. Like he he'll be of course better at things like running faster and and you know, probably, uh, you know, giving them, giving them maybe a hurry up sort of, uh, spark off the bench. But I just think that as long as Connor's healthy, then McFarland's utilities are pretty situationally specific. And even if Connor got hurt, I still don't think McFarland's the kind of guy who would just take the whole backfield over. He'd probably split carries with Benny Snell. Uh, notably, I would imagine them doing that in the red zone too. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, I, I don't think I quite like McFarland that much at that price. Uh, he's one of those guys I think I might sort of uh, avoid in best ball, maybe end in redraft this year, but I'd be prepared to, to go making trade offers after his rookie year. Cause I can imagine him having like a justice Hill kind of rookie season. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, of course, like justice Hill's price tag right now compared to what it was a year ago, I, 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 you could probably find some funny stories about what people uh, worked themselves up to pay for Justice Hill last year <laughs> and how they're feeling about it now. Um, so, yeah, it, it, with that said, it's like before, but, but Justice in Hill's case, it wouldn't be the, like that bad. It, it would be kind of in line with reasonable expectations. Sometimes fourth round diminutive running backs don't have huge workloads as rookies. They still often have pretty good NFL careers. So. I'd probably be looking to see if I can maybe make a buy low on him next offseason because I think he's a good prospect. It's just something about the price and the current circumstances that don't strike me as opportune. Yeah, that, that's fair. And, uh, you know, again, if Connor um, is, is out there for all 16 games, uh, then it's hard to imagine McFarland really horning in um, on much of that workload. So, I mean, he kind of profiles at best as a cha- change of pace uh, type of guy that, you know, even if Connor were to get hurt, uh, maybe isn't ticketed for like maybe the Steelers would on it would like hit the trade market before uh, turning over like 20 plus carries a game to, to McFarland, that sort of thing. Um, let's see. We got a couple more guys to hit. Uh, we got Darrington Evans um, of the Titans being uh, Derrick Henry's uh, backup, and then Joshua Kelly, um, who's going very, very close to Justin Jackson. So sort of like a depth version of like the the Ingram Dobbins question from earlier. Yeah. Uh, so Evans, it looks like it, since May first in Best Ball Tens, he's been going about thirty spots later, uh, thirty five even spots later than Anthony McFarland. And that's uh, even as someone who thinks that McFarland is a better player than Evans, I think that's too big of a difference. It'll be interesting to see if Evans's ADP creeps from this point because I bet it will. 
I think I think people are going to s- start looking at his highlights more and some somebody maybe like a maybe not even like a mainstream analyst, but somebody's going to get this this premise rolling downhill a little bit, I think, at some point and maybe create a brief fad about Darrington Evans, because who's the late round lottery ticket running back? If Der- if Derrick Henry gets hurt, who can win your league? And, uh, you know, they're going to talk about Darrington Evans because to be fair at 205 that's really late that's he's a player who I had no intention to target in a draft but if I found myself on the clock uh like I'd take him over McFarland for this year let alone uh you know 35 spots later over McFarland so yeah I think Darrington Evans is pretty interesting because he's 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 basically in the same situation as McFarland in that um you know he's He's not going to get a shot at, at doing much work if the lead guy gets healthy. But it's different from McFarland in that if Derrick Henry does get hurt, I don't really know what the Titans have aside from Darrington Evans at that point. Whereas in McFarland's case, there still might be one or both of Jalen Samuels or Benny Snell. So I do think that Mc, uh, that Darrington Evans has a lot more upside this year than McFarland, uh, even if you know the, both of their floors are, are pretty much in the basement. Right, exactly. So yeah, the, you're you're hitting like the the lottery ticket um, phase of, of of the draft. There um, are there some veteran guys that that you think you're considering uh, it, as opposed to the McFarland, uh, Evans, Josh Kelly uh, type of guys in this range. So I'm only pulling up that Best Ball Ten data since May first, but. I think a couple of things, and it hurts me to say this because I love the guy, but I think Justin Jackson's going too high. Oh, no. <laughs> I I have Josh Kelly ahead of him, and I I think there's reason to believe that Kelly's the better prospect generally. And uh, you know, knock on wood, I hope it doesn't happen. But I think Justin Jackson's going to get blacklisted from the NFL soon uh, for being for being a for having like beliefs basically for being politically active. Um, so yeah, I think he has the wrong kind of beliefs to be clear. He doesn't have those totally okay, uh, Justin, whatever his name beliefs. Like he, he doesn't have, uh, Justin Jackson doesn't have good enough beliefs to get drafted in the fifth round as a kicker, uh, out of Marshall, let's just say. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he'll be dealt with much differently when his time comes and, and it's disgusting, but that's just, that's just how oligarchy works. But, uh, Josh Kelly, even without any of that, it, it, I still think he's a better prospect than, than Jackson because Jackson's Jackson's one of those guys who's really skilled as a football player but he doesn't have much athletic tools to work with and and Kelly's a guy who's got to be pretty skilled and and he has more tools he's he's much more densely built than Jackson he's probably faster even though he's heavier and, and much more dense so I, I think Kelly will be a like I thought Kelly was a totally good pick at that spot I, I know some people seem to think that it was they were just kind of trying to find anybody to, you know, give them some depth or whatever. But I thought that was a good value, and I didn't expect to be high on Kelly. I thought he would have a much worse athletic profile than he did because he was, you know, the walk-on from UC whatever Davis, or, or, yeah, Davis or something. So uh, yeah, I, I was having, I was, I was having visions of. Uh, it, it kind of reminded me of the Chad Hansen, is that what his name was? That the California receiver who oh, uh, walked, shoot. yeah, who, who walked on from some tiny like Idaho State or something, and then he dominated. Uh, I thought like, oh, he's just he's just like the running back version of that. We're going to get to the combine and he's going to not be any good or something. Uh, but he, he ran much better than, you know, former walk on types or division one AA types do. And the production was good. So uh, I, I think he has better, a much better athletic tool set than, than Jackson does. And I actually like Kelly quite a bit in that range. He's got both a much higher floor than McFarland and Evans, in my opinion. And I think his his ceiling 
probably not as high as Evans because if you know if Derrick Henry, God forbid, got hurt, then uh, any particular running back who gets a, a, a big size of that, a, a big share of that resulting workload, they're going to rank really high and have have more upside than the next guy. And and in Kelly's case, he's never displacing Austin Eckler for Austin Eckler's snaps. Like Austin Eckler, people got to get in, in line with this in general. Austin Eckler is definitely something like a top ten NFL running back. He's not a flash in the pan. He's not poor old little Danny Woodhead. He's really, really good. And the things that he does, no one on that team can get anywhere near him at. So uh, he he will have something like 400 snaps up for grabs behind him. I think Kelly could take almost all of them. Okay, yeah. And I, I totally agree with you that um, people are, are really like trying to uh, like cool down on, on, on Austin Eckler. And it's like uh, not sure – why that would be like he just had an, an incredible season showcasing a lot of skills um and you know once melvin gordon got out there it didn't really stop him and now he gets to be the lead guy they just paid him a lot of money um yeah so i'm i'm totally in on eckler for for this year and um yeah i could i, I think you lay out a a fine enough case to where kelly probably ends up being the, that rb2 um for the chargers um let's round it out we got a couple more guys here um, before before we finish up, uh, Michael Perrine, uh, DJ Dallas, and Eno Benjamin. Um, any interest in, in those guys at their respective spots? Uh, not really. We'll see about P Ryan because if if he gets if he falls far enough in a draft order, you know I'll I'll take anybody if they're cheap enough. But generally, he's been one of those guys that somebody somebody else in the draft is a lot higher on him than I am. Uh, almost always. So I don't expect to get much P Ryan shares. You know, Benjamin, I won't get any. I am interested in Chase Edmonds as uh, like Kenyon Drake's a good running back. And I basically think that he's quite a bit better than Edmonds. But Drake has had his injury issues and, and Edmonds might be pretty good. So I like Edmonds at his price as, as a, a pretty good lottery ticket with with upside. But um, DJ Dallas, I have no interest in. I just I think that was a really bad pick. I thought that pick and the Colby Parkinson pick were so bad by the Seahawks in the fourth round. But even if Rashad Penny is out for the first whatever ten games or something like that, and even if Chris Carson got nicked up, I don't think it would be DJ Dallas who benefits. Everyone's forgetting about Travis Homer. There's a certain person who started over DJ Dallas at Miami, and that's right. It, it's it's the guy who's incidentally Homer might be younger than Dallas. I don't even Homer's really young is the thing. He he only he was on he's on that like Ronald Jones kind of uh, precociousness sort of deal. So he 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 showed up to the combine a bit light, yes, and he didn't take a big workload at Miami. Um, but he's he's going to add a little bit more weight in the next couple of years, I bet. And he's he's really athletic to start with. So I think Travis Homer is clearly and he's one of my favorite in the favorite targets generally and certainly at running back in the last couple rounds i'm taking up all the travis homer i can get because i think people are going to catch on that that one's being uh like dj dallas might do something this year but if dallas is going ahead of homer in drafts it's it's just too stupid of a thing to keep happening yeah yeah that that would be an overall uh, big miscalculation um let's talk about real quickly before we before we wrap up a, a cluster of second year running backs who basically had invisible rookie season so we got uh damian harris yeah um let's see darwin thompson bryce, justice hill justice hill uh bryce love obviously kind of just had a, a red shirt uh year last year as, as he recovered from him from a knee injury any interest in those guys at, at their respective prices 
you would know better than me what's going on with Bryce Love. I don't. I just kind of like I've, whatever Washington does as far as their medical staff goes. It seems like whatever it is is it ugh, feels bad. Um. So yeah. I don't, yeah. That's a weird one because he, before he had his injury issue, he was he was uh, at least he was on track to be the next like Dree Archer or something like that. And I know that he didn't turn out to be a, a useful NFL player, but that he at least got the shot to play. And there was there was anticipation for a guy like that. And with love, I haven't heard anything in quite literally like two years about him. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I'm a Geist truther. So I know that they've they've got the same issue. They're both uh, they, they both have their injury issues. And Antonio Gibson could make some sort of complication in the backfield there. So there's a lot that could go wrong. I don't think I'm interested in love for those reasons. Raquel Armstead, we'll see how this goes between uh, Divine Ozigbo and James Robinson and, of course, Leonard Fournette. But if Fournette gets traded or cut or something, then I guess Armstead has to be the kind of by default favorite, even though it would be a very written in pencil kind of deal. But that's a guy who whatever limitations he might have, he's 220 and he runs in the four fours and he's got a lot of motor. I remember that about Temple tape sure. with him. He was He's a guy who maybe he doesn't have things like vision and elusiveness, but he just he he runs psychotically angry and uh, he's fast and he's, he's got the kind of frame to, to, you know, run with a power sort of style. So he could be really good. I don't I don't have any shares yet. I guess I got to think about that. That's one of those cases where it's it's a good value, probably where Armstead tends to go. But I'm always in, in my own you know head in the clouds kind of place where I'm thinking like, oh, Travis Homer's on the board. I don't need a running back, so I don't I don't even <laughs> see who's on the board. Um, but yeah, Armstead is a is a player I should probably seriously consider getting shares of. Uh, Justice Hill, I I think he's a, he's a dynasty buy because like we were talking about in the last podcast, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know what, what if Gus Edwards does a Stacy Mac and and signs with the Texans or something uh, for a billion dollars. Then all of a sudden, the the Hill just gets I don't know, 350, 450 snaps just like that. So uh, he's a guy you hold for the long term. But this year with Dobbins there, I mean, Dobbins is probably the truth, and uh, Hill might be good, but he's he's just not really in that category. Um, yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty much out on Justice Hill as far as like his his Baltimore days. Maybe maybe you know they they kick the tires and maybe try to unload him for like a fifth or sixth round pick or something but um i don't know how much value he, he carries right now but like you said if you're playing the long game in dynasty uh maybe something to to continue to consider uh, i feel like also um a lot of people are out on sony michelle and i think the after after the oh, way yeah. last year went that's kind of reasonable um so damian harris is someone that i think i would i would take a a strong look at it there was a long time where i thought he was better than josh jacobs and i'm, I'm not totally convinced that i was way off there I, th I think that he just no i agree rookie year I, I i forgot that you know you raised his name but he's he's also it's him and travis homer actually i've, I've been taking harris shares too there we go the okay that round. makes me so feel better i i get i get to like uh my so i i see things like raquel armstead at his current adp and i think like sure that's interesting but i guess what keeps happening or i, I assume this must be it i must be getting into that part of the draft where armstead goes off the board and i must be taking a defense or a receiver or something like that because it just never crosses my mind, and I'm guessing the reason why is that I'm I'm going defense or receiver or something because I'm specifically thinking I'm going to get Harris or Homer in the seventh. And with Harris, I mean people 
I don't know. There's there's weird things that happen. Of course, anything can really happen. But as far as things like a guy like Damian Harris starting over, not just Josh Jacobs, but like Najee Harris, uh, whoever else was at Alabama, producing at or above their level in doing so. If they if he were to get to the NFL after all that was true and you know his athletic testing was fine it wasn't great but it wasn't any worse than average whereas Jacobs's was worse than average by the way but Jacobs being the backup to him all that time getting to the NFL doing what he did and Harris being unable to do anything it's it's a stretch it feels like at least from from my viewpoint that's a stretch for all of those things to somehow be true so I think it's more likely that, yeah, maybe Harris isn't some sort of, you know, game breaker. Maybe he's nondescript, whatever he is. But I'm still pretty sure he's better than Rex Burkhead. And James White also, his first year with the Patriots, was basically a scratch all year. So he had an okay career, of course, even though that happened to his rookie year. And, I mean, as a prospect, Damian Harris is a better prospect than James White was coming out of Wisconsin, very different players. Like, I don't think Harris can do the James White role, but I do think Harris could be like, I don't know. Like he can't be far off as a prospect in objective terms, height, weight, speed, uh, draft capital rookie year, even because it went really bad. But I still think there's a chance for like a Devante Freeman type. uh, Like he had a really bad rookie year. He was supposed to be a backup to Tevin Coleman. And then all of a sudden in week two of his second season, Devontae Freeman became like a fantasy star, even though, uh, you know, it, it didn't last that long, of course. And, and he, he wasn't like a dominant running back in the NFL. But the Patriots, if you know, they're probably going to run a lot. They've got a good offensive line, so they're probably going to be good at that. And there really is a chance that Harris is a better pure runner than Sony Michelle. Like, I don't think he can encroach on James White. But especially if Sony Michelle gets another like dinged up knee or something, I really think Harris might kick down the door. And I think th- there are enough cases in the past of, of NFL teams looking at a player they had and thinking, oh, he's no good. We can't use him. Just like the Falcons with Devontae Freeman even going into week one of that year before Tevin Coleman broke his ankle or whatever. Um, and I, I think Harris might be the next one. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So the, I'm, I was glad to, to pick your brain on him because, uh, you know, just – rounding things out for for today like it where he was sitting among that that running back pecking order is like wait a second you know like it I could see a case where he ends up um, really kind of taking off this year especially if the wheels fall off uh, for Michelle so again don't think that he he can take over the James White role also you have a situation where New England maybe they throw a little bit less this year try to take a little bit off of Jarrett Stidham's plate maybe they run a little bit more Uh, so all of that all that you know adds up to Damian Harris definitely being uh, that late round uh, flyer to target as long as you're not in best ball drafts with Mario or myself. Uh, yes. But that's gonna wrap things up uh, for today's show. Uh, for Mario, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening to the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner. We'll be back next week.